Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. have your Bibles, I'll give you the foundational verse that'll be pretty much throughout the whole part of this series in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, um, <clears throat> and that's where we'll read that every week that we, we have service, and uh, Wednesday night service, and outside of our, um, outside of our, our encounter services, that, you know, the, those nights, we, it's a lot of ministry time and things of that nature, but tonight, I, I want to kick this off and um, really just break it open and tell you what an orphan spirit is, uh, to what we have seen manifested, maybe it's in us, um, and don't, don't freak out, I'm not saying that anyone's possessed, uh, <laughs> by no means, but believers, uh, I love, and I've said this before, Dr. Mark Rutland, he said this, some, some, somebody came to him, and he's a very intelligent man, they said, Dr. Mark, can a Christian be possessed? And he said, they can be whatever they want to, so I guess it's your choice. If you want to be, I guess you can. So anyway, I just mess with a lot of people there, I'm sure. Um, there's, there's two parts to an orphan spirit. Um, a lot of times we talk with people and they, you know, this, it's like, oh, there's a spirit. That's a spirit. That's a, well, that's a spirit. That's a spirit. I was like, I don't know if there's a spirit with everything, but uh, there's probably a spirit. Uh, if there's not a spirit behind Every corner, behind every door, there's probably one under every other rock. So it's kind of like that's the way it works. Uh, we don't really know how many there are. But there's a, two, there's a two-sided thing to this of what I'm talking about tonight. There is, um, in the orphan spirit, there is a demonic spirit that is that. And I'll show you that it's Satan. He is the first orphan. Um, but then there is a spirit of an orphan, the orphan spirit, which is the attitude like the scripture talks about uh, the spirit of offense, that is not a demonic spirit. That's your attitude, okay? So it is a double-sided thing. There is an actual demonic spirit, uh, an orphan, um, and then there is the attitude of the heart that many believers that we, we have an orphan mentality. And so this is going to be a teaching tonight. This is going to be very foundational uh, to lay this for what is that. And then I'll go from there, and then we'll build into some really interesting topics as the, week, as, the, as the weeks roll on. So, But I want to talk about what it is tonight. And if you've got your Bibles, make sure and open to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Um, and we'll start there. And then I'm going to take you to Isaiah. So Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Uh, this is a very familiar passage to many of you. And I love the NAS because it actually reads the, the, the present participle, ver- the verb that is, it, it is not... Uh, it's not a past, it, it's, it's, it's a present and future tense. And in verse 14, it says, for all who are, how many all? Not one's left out. For all who are being led, many translations say for all who were led, but I love this, it's being led. So if you're being led, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and the daughters of God. So it is happening now. It's not when you said yes to Jesus back in 2006 and you you never said anything else. You've never followed him since. 
This, I, I, I hate to say it, but Paul is talking to those who are being led right now. You can get back on track, but i got to be honest, okay? i got to be pastoral tonight on that too. For those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Paul is very strict on that. He says, for you haven't received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. You understand? Well, I'll, I'll deal with that in the weeks to come, a spirit of adoption. Very powerful. As sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, I want to take a moment really quick before I dive into this because this will come in the weeks to come. Um, but you, the term father is a term of endearment. I, I, if, if when you say, when you're praying and you're talking to God, the father, and you, and you say father, if there's not some type of a, a heart connection and an affection that shifts, it's just a term. It doesn't mean anything to you. I'm going to stop right there because I, I, I really want to hit this hard. This is one of the things that I think the father hates is just a lukewarm, passive relationship. He does not like that whatsoever. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. He would rather you be cold. He would rather you be cold or be hot. But when you pray and you say, Father, if there is not something that begins to turn in your heart, then there is no connection to him. You may have had lip service and you may be saved, but there is no ongoing walk in relationship with him. That you're not experiencing fullness and you're stuck in a place of where uh, it's, you need to move. You got to move forward. Do something. So father is a term of endearment. It's honestly when, when, when you pray and you, you say that name, father, he transcends, let me say this. Father transcends, the, our God transcends the thoughts and human logic or, and all of human logic of human beings. So when you think about father and you think about your natural father, many of you have great examples. That's why parents, dads, it's very important that we demonstrate honestly what the father's like. I fail at that a lot. I'm just going to be honest and tell you. But we give our children, when they say Father and they pray, we are giving them an example. We have to be connected to him because we perpetuate and we, I don't know any other way to say it, we actually demonstrate him. And so there is a, a dynamic to that that when we, they see us, not saying we are God, we know that, okay? I don't have to get into detail, but you, you understand what I'm saying. It's very important, it's very vital that because he, he if... If we look at our earthly fathers and they, we see them as, oh, we're about, we're about to get beat again, we're about to get punished again, or we, our earthly parents have manipulated us in so many different facets. Okay, this is ringing. Uh, just letting you know back there. Um, if, if there is manipulation, there is no manipulation in God the Father. He doesn't manipulate. He will turn you loose and let you do what you feel like you need to do until you return back home, just like he did with the long-lost son and that found himself in the pig pen. He's not going to break your arm just to prove a point. I don't have to, I'm not going into that. I feel like I, I, because so many people, so many believers have got a wrong, skewed, perverted view of the father, and that's not him at all. The only way that you can truly know him is you've got to be led by his spirit. That's the only way that you can get to know him. So... There is a demonic spirit, which is Satan himself, that manifested the first orphan spirit. But there's also the attitude. Lucifer 
to lay the foundation of this, many of you know this, he was an anointed cherub. He was the minister of music in heaven. There were three cherubs. He's a created being, okay? He's not co- he's, it's not the opposite of God. That's just one breath God could obliterate him and, no, and just, I mean, be done with him. Um, so there's, there's no comparison there in, in, in regards to who has the equal power. He doesn't. He, get, he only has whatever you give him anyway. So um, he's a created being. He was created by, by, by God the Father. God created him. He was beautiful. Um, he, uh, he cannot create anything. When he fell from heaven, he, um, the, the Bible talks about that he disguises himself as an angel of light. So he can appear to look some way, and we can fall into the trap if we're not being led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons and the daughters of God, right? So he, he was a created being. We're looking at the first orphan, by the way. Um, there, there is a, a, a spirit of an orphan that can function in the life of a believer uh, revealed as an attitude, as a mindset, and even as the scripture talks about the heart of a person, it's just the, it's the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. It's where we make decisions. But Isaiah 14, I want to take you here now, Isaiah 14, and we're going to look at what happened with Lucifer in this whole process to really establish a baseline, all right? In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 through 14, Satan, and it's really interesting, you have to, when you read this text, some people say, well, this is talking about a king. No, it's like Isaiah begins to prophesy, release a revelation, begins to talk about the fall of Lucifer, and then he shifts right back in talking about the king, the, a king that is in this region at the time of where he was prophesying judgment against. So you have to be careful. That's why context is so important. You got to be in tune with what you're reading. So say, uh, Isaiah prophesies, and he starts to say about what Satan said. He said, but... Uh, let me actually start in verse 12. I know it's not up there, but I'll read that first. Verse 12 says, Oh, you have fallen from heaven, you star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You, have been def- you who defeated the nations, but you said in your heart. Now, here's the five I wills of Satan. This is, and, and you understand that the underlying theme of these I wills is pride. Right? Okay? I know that's simple, but you have, if there is a prideful, arrogant heart in you, God absolutely detests that. All right? He hates that. If you want to know what God hates, he hates pride. It can disguise itself as false humility. Oh, man. I'm telling you. Well, I just, I just don't, I don't want to. No. No, no, no. You, there, I, oh, man, I want to go so many places. Uh, because th- this, this theme, you see it. You see the manifestation of pride and arrogance, and it'll disguise itself because that, uh, that, that, that attitude doesn't want to leave. It wants to stay. It's something we've become comfortable with, so we allow pride to mask itself in so many different ways and stay around. It can, it can, it can be in, in the poor person's house. It can be in the rich person's house. It doesn't matter what ch- side of the tracks you live in. Pride will sit and hang. It, it'll, it, it'll make you, because you're, because you're insecure, it'll start pointing fingers at others to, make them, to belittle them and try to bring them down to your level. It, it, just, it wears so many different faces and it masks itself in so many different ways. But nevertheless, Satan says, he said this, he said, I will ascend to heaven. Number two, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Number three, I will sit on the mount of the assembly or the congregation. So there's your Old Testament. And people say, well, they didn't have church back in the Old Testament. It's a lie. They had an assembly. Anyway, um, 
in the recesses of the north. For he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And number five, I will make myself like the most high God. I'll stop there. So the first orphan begins with these five I wills. And this is a manifestation of pride. And it's a self-centered mindset. It's one that completely focuses on you. Everything is about you. It's about how you feel. What can I get? Ring the bell with some of us right now. You know, it's like, it's all about me. It's my feelings. All right? You ready to look at this? Number one, when he says, I will ascend to heaven, again, it's a self-centered mindset. It's all about himself. I will ascend. Number two, he says, I will raise my throne above the stars. What is that? That is self-exaltation. Know anybody that exalts themselves above the rest, right? Uh, maybe it's manifested in the, the, the different things that they buy. As Pastor was talking about Sunday to keep up with the Joneses, money you can't even, or, or things that you can't even afford, but you do it anyway because you got to be able to run. You got to be able to show yourself uh, whatever in the community or in the whatever system it is. It's just, it's, I got to exalt myself. I got I to put myself out there. The third one, I will sit among the mountain of the congregation of the assembly. That's self-enthronement. Now, that may not be something that we, we see so much uh, in that regard of, of, an, of an enthronement aspect of it, but he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm going to rise above the throne of God. Uh, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Again, there's another self-centered statement. And number five, I will make myself like the most high God. So what is he doing? He's deifying himself, self. It's all about self. Everything about in this whole process was about self. So pride was at the heart of the orphan and being that Satan was the original orphan, when he said these things immediately, whenever he began to make these declarative statements, he had influence. In heaven, he had influence because the scripture says that when he fell, there was a third that fell with him. So there's still two-thirds more angels that are against them than he has. So a third fell, there's still two-thirds. There's more than enough to, de to defeat him and his foes and, or him and his uh, cohorts and whatever you want to say. But pride was the downfall, and is, which is why God hates it so much. And I've always wondered to myself, God, why? This is my theological question. Why would you create? Why would you create him? Like, why would you do that? That's my question. Because he's God. He knows everything. He's, he's, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So he knew. But yet, God himself, the father of all life, creates all three of these archangels. You have Gabriel, which is the messenger angel. You have Michael, which is, that represents prayer, which is the warf, warring angel. And then you have Lucifer, which is the worship, the worshiping cherub. He creates the word, the prayer, and the worship. These are the three, and one fell. And he just, I'm assuming, this is my guess, the way that he created us. I'm just, this is my story, I'm telling it. But he made him to look so beautiful. And I can only imagine that he laid him out there and just began to design put all of these beautiful pipes in him, all of these beautiful, the gems and this, all of the things that was, that, that, that it's, it's said about Lucifer, how beautiful, God created him. 
And actually, as he did with Adam and as he's done with us, leans over, breathes into him, and life happens. The father of all life. So if, now, Satan is, he can't repent, by the way. <laughs> Lucifer can't repent. He fell, he's done. He's, you know, he's not even, there's, there's, there's no, no hope for him in that regard. He's, that's why hell was created. People that ask about, you know, how could a loving God send uh, pe- uh, people to hell that he created? He, he, he sends sin to hell. People refuse to divorce themselves from sin. They stay to it, attached to it, and they don't choose him, so therefore they, they find themselves there. But it was created for him. So that's, Satan has been kicked out. He was Lucifer becomes Satan. And Satan, the name itself, can be, it, it, mean, it simply means accuser, uh, slanderer. That's a name. Anybody can be a Satan. <laughs> Y'all look at like, I know a Satan, Right? It's, it just simply means a slanderer, the accuser of the people of God. I mean, he's, the, the Bible says that he stands day and night and, and accuses. Well, how can that be if he's been kicked out? You know what I think? Now, this may not be, this may not, this may mess with you, but let me just tell you what I think it means. I think that he stands day and night and accuses uh, us to the Father according to how we allow him to infiltrate our mind. And God's saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. Why are you bringing this up? I've already forgiven you of that. You're bringing something up that I've done. God is the only one that can choose in his sovereignty and in his power and him being God to forgive you of your sin and not even remember it. We can forgive, but we never forget, okay? We solve that for some of you that's trying to use that as a way to wear somebody out and say, you just need to forgive and forget. Stop. It doesn't even make sense. When you hurt people, guess what? That hurt remains. It has to be forgiven, and it has to be released, but you never forget, right? That's why it's always good to establish healthy boundaries in your personal life. So, but Satan, in the moment that he's kicked out of heaven, guess what heaven represents for us? I believe, let me just say this before I go into this next part. I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that we always say God resides in heaven, well, I'm going to lean on to uh, one of the, the guys that I used to listen to. I believe that it's all of heaven is in God because he's that big. I believe that. He's that big. The moment that Satan, Lucifer's kicked out of heaven, he becomes homeless. And in that moment, he becomes an orphan. Why? Because orphans don't have a home. So he's homeless. Now, I'm not... Don't feel sorry for him. I hope you don't. (laughs) But for many of us, we become an orphan because we don't have a home or we've had a loss of a home in regards to we can be believers, but because of the condition and the attitude of our heart, we don't know God as Father and Father's home. The presence of God is home. Got it? You snoozing on me? Slap the person beside you if they're snoozing. It's all right. I give you permission. I used to apologize for that, but I'm not anymore. Um, that, that's what, when, when I've been praying over our church and personally praying, God, help me steward well what you've entrusted to me. You can tell how much God trusts you by seeing what he's entrusted to you. 
First off, as every believer, he's entrusted his very spirit inside of you. So he trusts you. God, people say, well, God's sovereign. He, he does whatever he wants to upon the earth. The Bible specifically says the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to the sons of man. God wants to rule the earth through submitted, yielded children of God, not those that he has to, well, I wish God would just do this and I wish he would just make me. No, he's not going to make you do anything. You may find yourself in a tight spot and say, well, God made me, he got me in it. He didn't, no, no, he'll use anything, right? I don't believe he, he does not give you sickness to teach you a lesson. I do not believe that. You cannot find it in the life of Jesus. If you can't find it in Jesus, you've got a reason to question it, I believe, because Jesus is saying, I am the father in flesh. Look at me. I demonstrate what a true, yielded, submitted son is supposed to look like. If you want to, well, yeah, but he's God. Yeah, I get that, but he's also fully man, right? So a person with an orphan spirit or an orphan heart, I should say, it's the attitude because you can, you have come out of Egypt. How many are saved in the room? Honestly, you're proud about it? Like, hey, I, well, maybe I shouldn't say proud because that's you. Like. <laughs> but how many, I, raise your hands again and hold them. Are you saved? Raise your hands. I'm going to look, look through the, I want to see everyone that's saved, because if not, we're going to get you saved tonight. We're not going to force you to be saved, but we might. We'll just see. Now, so that's, that's pretty much everybody in the room right now, so that everyone is saved. You can be saved. Guess what? You've come out of Egypt. You don't have to worry about going to a, eternal damnation, a place called hell. You don't have to worry about that. You're saved. Your fire insurance is paid up. But the problem is, is that many of us, we have come out of Egypt, but we still got an Egyptian mindset. And that's an orphan heart. That's an orphan mindset because you're operating in lack. You live from uh, this moment to this, and you don't have, like, the, the, I, I want to go so deep with so many of these, uh, these thoughts, but think about it in this art. One of the most powerful two words I've ever heard in my life is orphans compete. Orphans compete. Are you always competing? Well, I don't play games, Pastor Rich. Eh? No, you may not play games, but you're competing with somebody all the time. It's always about a competition. I'll tell you a story. Oh, I got to be really. Um, in the past 30 years of my life, that would put me at nine years old, but the past, just say something happened in the past 30 years, okay? Um, a situation where Boy, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> I've done walked myself into a hole, and I don't know how to get myself out of it. <laughs> there was a time in my life where, and this really, I learned this. I was looking to pull someone alongside of me. It wasn't manipulation. It had nothing to do with, you know, I, I didn't use charm. I just, there was someone said, hey, I, I feel like, I think this is good. We were supposed to walk together for a stint in a season of our life. But because of another source that reached out with fear, manipulation, dangling a carrot in front of this person's face, it, it caused them to struggle a little bit. Like, I don't know. And in that moment, I know this is very broad and very general. That taught me in that moment, God... Whoever's supposed to be will be. Whoever's supposed to go is supposed to go. 
I'm going to live like this. It literally taught me, because here's the thing about the kingdom of God. I know that's very general. In the kingdom of God, there's always more than enough. If you always live in a place of there's never going to be enough, it's never, we're never, it's, it's always lack, then you have an orphan attitude. Because the children of Israel, what did they say? When they come out of Egypt, they said, well, we can go back because we've got shelter. And now we're going to have to be slaves and bondages. And we're going to, and, but, but we always have more than enough. It's, but they're, they're in the wilderness being led by the Spirit of God. And they've got food every day. They're being taken care of. Their clothes are not wearing out. They're being led by the Spirit of God. Like the Father said, I want to father this nation. But they wanted to go back to bondage. For you in your life, if you're living in a place of where you're just always holding relationships tight, you're always holding things extremely close to your chest, you're scared about, uh, um, uh, you, you, you become, what's the word I'm looking for? You become very controlling of people. You become very controlling of everything. And, and it's funny because you think you have control, but you don't. How many times have we seen things flip on their head and we, we're just like, I don't even know what in the world. How, and then you really are in a tizzy because you're, you, you haven't learned. You have an orphan attitude. The orphan spirit wants you to worry. It wants you, if you're constantly in a state of worry, you're constantly fearing for this or fearing for that, there is an orphan attitude. You're not possessed by a demon called an orphan. It's an attitude because you're saved. Jesus is talking to Jewish believers. I'm just going to flow with this time, so take it for whatever you got. Jesus is talking to Jewish believers, not to people that are lost. And he tells them, he said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. People think, well, oh, I get saved. I'm free indeed. No, he's talking to believers. They already believe in him. They've already seen him. Yes, we believe that you are the Messiah and who you say you are. But yet there is this, he's saying, there are some, and I can't read the full context of the scripture right now, but we'll dig into it later. But he's saying that you are accustomed and allowed certain sins and weights to take hold of your life and attitudes, and you're thinking in terms of someone that has come out of bondage, but you're going back into it. Or maybe you've never fully gotten rid of that bondage in your life. And so there is a slave mentality. There's an orphan mentality. I think about... Um, I think about those testimonies of people that I've heard that have been, they were in an orphanage or an orphan home. I remember growing up, there was, a, there was a, an orphanage that the church that I grew up in, we used to support and take care of. And they would come every so often, and they just, they always looked so sad. And I, would, I remember befriending one of them one time, and, and, and it was just like, he, he, there was, we were playing basketball at the end of the service because Pentecostals, that's all we could play is basketball back in the day. I'll leave that alone. I, was, hey, I can say that because I was. But anyway, and, and so uh, I remember at the end, he, he took the basketball and he clenched it tight and he didn't want to let go of it. And I didn't understand that. I come home and I said, Mom, why, why did he, he didn't want to let go of that basketball? She never did tell me, but I was reminded of the stories because they don't know. They don't know if they'll ever get to do that again. Because they, they don't have a home. They don't have a place. And for us that are sons and daughters, you've got to understand, home is where God is. Home is, he, he's home. There's a song that Jason Upton wrote not too long ago that's called Home to Me. And he says, you're where we all live are going to. We're coming back to you. We're returning back to you. It's just a returning back to home presence. The presence of God is home. A home is not just a house or a physical structure. Many of you know that. We could say 
The, the, the cliche phrase, it's, you know, we, you live in a house, but you actually establish a home. And, uh, but it's not just a house or a physical structure, but a place. And this is what I, I wrote down in my personal notes. I was thinking about the presence of God, and I was thinking what that feels like, and that's what I want to host. I want to host the, the Father's presence because when, when the Father's home, I remember my dad, and I, I love my dad very much, but I remember there's a place of security it's a place of peace. You know everything's going to be all right. Now, I apologize if, if some of you were raised in homes where your father was absent or he wasn't good or whatever it may be. But I just remember his home. I knew that when my dad was there, um, we had a good time. People think God is just sitting up in heaven with this big white beard and he's just waiting for you to mess up and to drop the hammer. I can't tell you. How many encounters I've had in the presence of God and the visions that he's shown me, and this will play with some of you and mess with you, but I remember one time, and I might have shared this, but I was in here with my acoustic just walking around and worshiping, and I got a picture and a vision of the Lord sitting on the throne, and he wasn't rushing me. He wasn't looking at me like, you need to hurry up. We got time. You just need to get out of your mouth what you're saying. And I just began to sing, and I was very intimidated in the moment. But the intimidation was a manifestation of an orphan heart because my God, my Father's not intimidated. He doesn't intimidate me. He doesn't, he doesn't look to back me into a corner of fear and, and, and terror, although that he can. He is God, by the way. But it, it, it's, it was a fatherly presence that, I don't know if I should share this, God, but you know what, if I am, I am. I saw him lean his head back on what I saw was his throne. And there was a smile on his face, and he just waited patiently. Because he knew in a moment's time, I was going to release a song unto the Lord. And it was going to, whatever I sung at that moment, it didn't matter how it came out. And it was the most, it was the worst. (laughs) It was awful. All I could say was, I love you, but it was an ugly cry. And it was bad. I couldn't even sing on. It was bad. I, I, and, but in that, in that picture and in that vision I saw of him, I just saw a smile. And, it, and it, it messed with me. And from that moment, that taught me uh, that the father is not, he, he's not someone that's waiting for you to mess up. He's not waiting for you uh, 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 to, to whatever it may be. It, it, he's, he's, so, he's so patient. We read Old Testament and we get so mixed up. We say, well, God killed all these people. Have you read Psalms? Have you, have you read Psalms when it talks about that your mercy endures forever? Talks about him being kind and compassionate. Or do we only read what we want to read? Listen. The father is not like your natural father. Many of you have got that picture and you've got to change it. And the only way that it can change is being led by spirit by his spirit, that he can teach you. Home is a place of security, peace, assurance, guidance, wisdom, etc. The list could go on and on and on. But really quick, the chief joy of the orphan spirit is to separate children from their father. When we look and see what the enemy did, he comes to steal kill, and destroy. The primary goal is to turn everyone into a version. The enemy, the primary goal of the enemy is to turn everyone into a version of himself. Fatherless, disinherited, and lost. That's his goal. 
You want to know what he wants to do to you? He wants to, because the problem, if you ever figure out who you are as a child of God, if you ever get that first off is you don't want to become anybody else. You're not allowing the culture to change you. You're not trying to blend and you're not trying. You want, that's, that's not something you will discover. One, the more you discover him, the more he reveals you to you and reveals you how great that you truly are to him. There's been times that I've been reading scripture and I'll stop and I'll sense the presence of God so strong. And all he's telling me is, AJ, I love you. That's all he says. And that's all he has to say. Because I'll, I'll become a puddle. That's all he has to say. He doesn't need to astound me with some powerful revelation of, of the book of Revelation. or he doesn't, he doesn't have to do that. All he has to do is just tell me that he loves me and that's enough. It's enough. More than enough. And especially when I hear in the still small voice him whisper my name. That's all he has to do. You can tell if you function as an orphan because of your fear of lack. It's always, well, there won't be enough X, whatever that X is. It won't be enough of this. Well, if I, if I give my heart away again, what's going to happen in this regard? You exclude more than you include those around you for whatever fear it may be. You can't celebrate those who are being promoted because... If you're not getting what you feel like you're supposed to be getting, I'm telling you, the only affirmation you truly need is that that comes from God. Even I am, a, I'm a, my love language is uh, words of affirmation, and yes, I love that for my wife. But on the other side of that, that's where if I am dependent upon a relationship to find my, my peace and my affirmation, then I'm in trouble. I'm serious. Now, husbands, wives do that. Okay, but I'm telling you, if that's all, I'm always waiting on a word from them. Why don't you shift that focus towards him? I'm waiting on you, God. I come to wait on you. I'm waiting on your word. What are you saying? What's your words to me? What do you have to say? How many believe that God speaks? Well, just make sure to wake some of us up. Okay, okay, good. I think we're on the same page. All right. You hold everything too tight. The orphan spirit, the attitude of an orphan, always sets itself against the father's love. People say, well, you know, I ought to fear this and I ought to fear what. My, my children ought to fear me. Well, first off, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Let me flip this really quick and then I'll be done. We talked about the orphan spirit. We talked about what it is. Maybe has some of that hit some of your nerves tonight to let you know, hey, I'm, this is something I need to check. Is anybody be honest and say, I've, I've, I've seen, I'm seeing a couple of hands. Some of you are honest. Um, I hope it has. Here is the other side. Let me show you Jesus, all right? You understand that Jesus, Jesus is the last Adam. He's not the second. He's the last. Adam in the garden fell. They are, I don't have time to dig into that story, but Adam in the garden, he fell, forfeited the authority, which is why Jesus came, right? Came to redeem and buy back. So Satan has, he had all authority up until Jesus comes, and he said, it's finished. What that meant was, I've got the keys, and so I have all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. I've done it right. The last Adam, the son of God, 
In contrast to the orphan attitude, we have Jesus that demonstrates sonship. Here is the five, you have the five I wills of Satan. Now let's look of how they contrast to Jesus. Jesus shows up, the first one is he denied his self-will, right? He said, not my will, but Father, yours be done. He knew, he said, let this cup pass from me in the garden when he's praying. But many of us, and we'll continue to pray for God to change the situation, and we'll be so stone-faced, and we're not moving. I will not, I will not, I will not budge. God, please change it, please change it. But have you ever been at the point where you've said, nevertheless, God, not my will, but yours. That just sets some of you free. It's going to be hard to pray it. But Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. I don't believe that he had a fear in his heart. I don't. I, I know that he could probably see the torment and the torture and what he was about to go through. And we're about to come into, we're in Passover season right now. But I think the greatest, uh, I don't want to call it a fear, but the greatest dread that Jesus had was in a moment, the father was going to turn his back because he's never walked in a moment where he's been, he's had broken communion. It's always been constant. He was always, he knew how to withdraw and retreat from the crowds, go up on the mountain to pray, go along with himself. But then he also knew how to return back to the crowds. But in a moment's time, the father's fixing to turn his back on the son. And he's never experienced that before. It was so much so that Jesus cries out and he said, why have you forsaken me? That's the flesh. Come on. That shows you that Jesus was fully man. Right? So, not my will, God, but yours. So you see the, the attitude of a son, not the attitude of an orphan. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. And he said, my will is to do my father's work and to finish it. So it wasn't his work, it was his father's work. Number two, he denied self-exaltation. He came under submission to the father, even to the point of death. That's what the scripture says. Three, he denied the self-enthronement. Satan, in a moment's time, which is a supernatural occurrence, takes him up on the mountaintop and says, you see all these kingdoms? I'm going to give them to you. Because he could. He had the keys. He had it. He had all the kingdoms. They belonged to him. And he did it right. He manipulated, but they were legally right. To, they were legally Satan's. And Jesus, what did he do? He didn't, he didn't curse him in any way. He said... He told him, he said, it is written. He, re, he uses scripture. He uses his father's words and declares to the enemy. Number four, he denied the self-deification. Well, there's actually two self-centered in this, but the, the fourth one is he denied self-deification. Although Jesus possessed all power and authority, he was willing to come up underneath his father's authority. He was submitted and yielded to the father's, to the father's will. He was a yielded son. Jesus came as the son of God to show us what real sonship is. We look to Jesus and we see this. He was always, always aligned. I don't know, AJ or whoever's coming up. He was always aligned with the heart of his father. Always. Now, I want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray tonight because I really feel this is a moment that many of you of where God reveals areas of your life, areas of your life that you know that 
needs to be corrected. You know you need to repent. You know you need to change. You need to Because it's only through the washing of the word. Whenever something is revealed, there has to be a moment where it's acknowledged. God, yes, that's, I can see that attitude. I've been living in a place of lack. I have an orphan mentality. My, the attitude of my heart is, is as an orphan. So I'm asking you to forgive me. God, and I want to repent and I want to turn. And Jesus, you are the elder brother that I'm looking at. You are the representation of the Father. And so I'm I'm returning. I'm returning home. I'm returning back to you. So I'm going to give you just a moment right here. If you would, close your eyes over the house. And I want to ask this question. And just, just, uh, I, I said it a while ago, but no one looking in the room. But is there anyone in the room that anything that we've touched on tonight, would you would say that like, hey, that's me right there. You mentioned it. That's me. I want you to lift your hand right now. See the hands going up. Now, what I want you to do is lift the other hand. Keep them both. And what you're doing is you're surrendering right here. Jesus lived in complete surrender. He only did what he saw his father do, and he only said what he heard his father speak. The beginning step to finding healing from an orphan spirit is full surrender. To acknowledge and say, yes, I've operated in this God. And I don't want to do it anymore. And just start at the place of repentance. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Lord, cleanse my heart. Lord, cleanse my heart. Cleanse me, purify me, wash me clean tonight, God. My mind, my will, my emotions, my thoughts, my actions, purify my heart in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing and washing Father, I pray that as they walk out of this room and begin to approach the night, the next day, Father, I'm asking you that you would begin to convict those areas of their lives. That's the same with me, Lord. I'm praying it for myself. Convict me, God, of those things that's not right. Show me. Let me see it. I don't want to miss it, anything that I'm operating and functioning as an orphan because we're not called to be orphans. We're called to be sons, daughters. We're called royalty, priesthood unto the Lord. So God, work, work in us, work on us. Release your spirit of conviction right now that would begin to work on the hearts of the people in this room. I'm telling you, I, I really pray this. This is a a fervent prayer that I pray over my life but I'm also praying it over us tonight thank you Lord last thing and you can look up here and we'll be dismissed Um, we just come out of this series on by the book it's talking about the word of God Um, you hear it said often but as a believer one of your disciplines you understand there's daily disciplines that, that are that, you can call them holy habits or whatever you want to say there's daily disciplines that you have to daily partake in regardless if you feel good or not feel good and scripture is one of those the only way that you can start to make the turn in your life otherwise you just said some words you said a few things you mumbled a few things and nothing's going to ever change you have to, it, it has to begin in the prayer closet and it has to begin in the intaking of the word of God. I'm telling you, the only way 
that you can rid yourself of the attitude of an orphan heart. Whatever area God revealed to you is going to be through Scripture. It has to be through Scripture. You have to take it in. Take it in on a daily basis. I don't care if it's six, seven. I don't know how long you read and whatever your devotional time. It is a daily discipline of the life of the believer. Nobody likes disciplines. They don't like to be disciplined. But I'm telling you, that's the only way that you rid yourself and you turn away from this. You make a 180 and walk away from it and walk into the kingdom of God. You replace it with scripture. You can't, you can't deny that. We've got enough in our world and especially a lot of people that claim to be Christians, but they're lukewarm. There is a form, but there's no power. They have the shell of, I'm a believer. Everybody says, I'm a Christian these days, and that's very relative. But according to a biblical, Bible-believing Christian, I'm asking you, that's you. This is a Wednesday night crowd. That's, are you really? Because the proof is in the pudding. Do you pray? Do you read scripture? Are you engaged in the, in the daily discipline? Because that proves you different. You better know that, and I'm going to tell you this, and I'm done. But the baptism of fire and the Holy Spirit will be so... I was, I was praying in this room this morning, and it literally came out of my mouth, and I began to prophesy. I just began to prophesy the next 10 years, if for, for the life of the believer, the baptism of the fire and Holy Spirit is going to be a necessity in your life. Because your prayer language is going to be a necessity in the days to come. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I... I it, Whatever you want to say, it was, it was necessary for the disciples, for the apostles in the book of Acts, and nothing has changed. I'm telling you. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.